Hi everybody, this is Tracy Malone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am here with a very special guest today that is going to explain to us all about gaslighting. My guest is Amy Marlowe McCoy. She's the author of a new book, The Gaslighting Recovery Workbook. When I got this book about a month ago, I fell in love with it and I said, we gotta talk to this lady. Um, this book is healing from emotional abuse. It's exercises. It's thought-provoking things to understand um, how you get out of this and how we move forward. So without any further ado, I'm going to let Amy do a little bit more introductions of herself because she knows her better than anyone. But for now, let's welcome Amy. Thanks, Tracy. I'm really excited to be here and to have this talk with you today. Yeah, I am so excited because I found your book. And before we talk about your book, would you mind just telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Because um, when we get into the book, it'll help to, you know, put the two pieces together. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Amy Marlowe McCoy. I am a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania. And my area of expertise is supporting adult children of narcissists and adults who have survived narcissistic abuse in other relationships. Uh, so my entire practice is built around supporting people who are trying to recover and heal from painful relationships. Wow, that's the perfect person for everybody. Do you do <laughs> um, remote um, sessions or because you're a therapist, do you have to stay within your, your state? Um, I do have to stay within my state, uh, but I offer um, some free downloads. I have a free download at my website. I write blog articles pretty frequently. Um, I have the book and also um, working on a DIY video course that I'll be able to, to provide for non-Pennsylvania residents. Very nice. That's good to know. Thank you. So for everybody out there in, in YouTube and uh, podcast land, um, I am speaking with um, Amy today because A, she's written some blogs for my, my website, so please go and check those out. But she recently came out with a book. And I'm holding it up, the Gaslighting Recovery Workbook, Healing from Emotional Abuse. And when I first got it, I said to myself, wow, gaslighting I get, but a whole book to recover from it, I didn't understand. And then I opened it and I'm in love. It's, it's not only laid out so beautifully, but it takes us through a whole bunch of healing things from emotional abuse. So it it's, it's a perfect book. It's made for you guys out there in TV land. So today we're going to talk about this book um, and it, we're going to just start talking about gaslighting. So Amy, let's just start off. Explain to us for people who don't understand, what is gaslighting? So gaslighting is a specific form of emotional abuse. It's probably like the number one tactic in the narcissist playbook. Um, and it's a type of abuse that causes victims to question their thoughts, feelings, judgments, perceptions, and even their sanity. Uh, and the narcissists do this to keep you confused and keep you off balance. Yeah. And, and it is an insidious form of abuse because Absolutely. it's low and it's sometimes labeled or kind of smeared with kindness but they're still putting you down and you're like, what was that? So like, tell me what kind of tactics are deployed during a, a gaslighting attack, if you would. Um, so there's lots of different ways that somebody could gaslight you um, from as blatant as open denial of something that you physically witnessed or experienced 
to that sort of like, well, I'm really doing this for your own good because I think you're, you're just overreacting. You're being too sensitive. I'm going to try to help you be less thin-skinned. When mm. the reality is they're saying something hurtful and then gaslighting you by assuming or, or insinuating that your reaction is disproportionate to what happened. Um, mm. So it could be that you present someone with evidence of something they did and they say that didn't happen. Right. It's not what it looks like. That's not the way it went. Exactly. Or that you say, you know, this thing that you did was really hurtful and I don't like it. And they say, well, really, like you just took that the wrong way. Mm. That's, that's not what I meant. So it's, you need sensitive. to stop being like that. Yeah. You're too sensitive. Or mm-hmm. this is one of my favorites. You're just like your mother. You're so sensitive or you get so angry. Whatever it was, it was this put down to mm-hmm. putting me down towards a, an abusive mom. <laughs> but again, to answer a normal question, a normal conversation, they deploy this tactic that stops you in your track. Now you're sitting here going, you get defensive. You're going to call me my mother or, you know, different Mm -hmm. things like that. And then, then the battle begins. And it was such a simple, easy kind of question for them. The, the, The goal of this is what's really important to understand. Why do they do this? And and how come they all know? Like, how do they? Is, is there really a book? Everyone always goes, I want to know the book that they're reading because they all go by the same playbook. But just explain to him what the goal is with that. So the goal is ultimately to control your sense of reality uh, by shifting it so that it matches their sense of reality. And there could be a couple different reasons depending on the person that you're dealing with. Um, for some, it is absolutely a malignant, I need to be in charge, I need to be in power kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And for others, it may be that there's something really intolerable for them, something really painful for them about, oh my God, I messed up, I did something wrong, I can't have that, like that's just not acceptable. So I can't let that be the reality. And so depending on the person you're with, it could be more overt and nefarious, or it could be about self-preservation. Either way, the result is that they have to make your perception of reality match their perception. And, and, it, and it's, it's bottom line in all of the things and the tactics that narcissists do is to control, right? Bottom line, this is just one of the things they're going to throw out there and see, oh, how will she react? How will he react if I do this ploy because I think a healthy person, if this was thrust upon them, and I'm not calling victims not healthy, I'm saying someone who's been in this abusive relationship is trapped like a little bit of a prisoner in this crazy world. And so when, when they end up like sort of being tested by the, the narcissist, um, a healthy person might react differently, right? They, they might have boundaries and they might not take it to heart as much and they might not even bother defending themselves. They might just be like, you're weird, get out of here um, versus a victim that is, that is suffering with this. And I know there's a lot of things that happen to a victim when they are um, exposed to this. What are the kind of feelings that go inside or is there anything else that can manifest when someone is a victim of this? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the most uh, far-reaching effects of um, consistent or chronic gaslighting over time is that it really erodes your self-confidence. It erodes your sense of reality, your sense of trust in yourself, um, your sense of self-efficacy. You know, you start to feel really powerless and like 
if you can't trust your own senses, if you can't trust your memory, your thoughts, your perception, then what are you going to do? You're going to rely on someone else to tell you what's real. And who are you going to rely on? Probably the narcissist who's telling you your reality is wrong. Um, so it, it sort of takes you deeper and deeper and deeper into this cycle where the confidence gets lower and lower, the self-esteem gets lower and lower, the anxiety gets higher, the depression gets higher, and you may start to feel very isolated and very trapped. Yeah, yeah. And and with all of those feelings, you know, we, we talk to victims all the time and they're they're going through anxiety attacks, panic attacks, they're going into deep depressions and they've never been that person. Um, so in all of those things that happen with gaslighting, um, you know, to, to feel completely lost, everyone always says, I don't know who I am anymore. And gaslighting is a big part of that. Because if you say it's blue, and someone tells you it's red, um, and you're going, no, it's blue, it gets to the point where you stop fighting and go, okay, it's red, whatever, I don't care, I don't want to fight. And then you don't know what blue and red is anymore, right? And that's a simplistic example. But it is sort of how it it sort of trances um and puts like almost like you're hypnotized to the to the narcissist thoughts and beliefs and um that is extremely dangerous and this is the beginning of of narcissistic abuse is to wear you down and to try to see if they can start to control you little by little by little and gaslighting is one of the biggest thing um i uh, I teach in my support groups, I teach gaslighting and I teach people some of the things that they might hear. And it always amazes me. Oh, there's a spider on the roof. Yay. <laughs> it always amazes me when they don't understand that was gaslighting. So can you give us some examples of like some of the things they say and, and in your book, and I don't know if you've got it nearby, but the way you give the examples, I love them because you're explaining what that meant. So it's, this is a tiny sentence, but this is what they were doing. I love that part. So can you give us some of the examples? Sure. Um, I'm going to do my best from memory because of course, all my physical copies are at my office, which I can't go to right now because of the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> but I can give you some examples for sure. Um, so one of the ones that I see come up a lot, and I hate this one, but it comes up so often, is I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't provoked me. Mm. Uh, and this is really victim blaming. And this is, you know, I only hit you because you made me so angry. I only called you a bitch because you were so mean or you were nagging me. I only said you were like your mother because you did the same thing she does and you always complain about it. Um, and it really kind of throws you back on your heels and says, oh my gosh, like, was I being a shrew? Was I being obnoxious? Did I really deserve that? Um, and when you are sitting there questioning yourself, it gives the gaslighter free reign to continue because now you're saying, oh, well, maybe I really am this awful person who deserves what's happening to me. I can't complain if I brought it on myself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna read one that you mm -hmm. have in here with your little excerpt because I want everyone to see the value of this book. And I am telling everybody now, if you can see my bookshelf up there, the whole top shelf is filled with workbooks. And this one is on the bottom shelf because it's that important. And I think that so many survivors need to have this. Um, workbooks are an amazing tool to 
work things out. It's like a therapist in a box for 20 bucks, right? I don't know how much your book is, but basically when people are going, uh, it, we have to do the work. Looking at this, understanding your role as far as not understanding it, not knowing what they said, or not understanding how your feelings changed and got affected by this and how you lost your power and how never to let it happen again, which is why this looks so cool. Anyway, I'm, I went crazy on that. I wasn't like pushing your book. Oh, right. I was. <laughs> All right. <laughs> here it goes. So you deliberately misinterpreted what I said. And then you write, this phrase casts blame on the victim for not reading the gaslighter's mind and implies that the victim distorted the gaslighter's innocent intent. Right? So, you know, that never happened. And all of these things that they say, um, you're trying to confuse me. And, and they're sitting there and they are trying to confuse you. And then you're sitting going, I'm trying to confuse you because I'm the one like scratching my head, right? Mm -hmm. it, such a insidious form of abuse. And I know it not only happens in, in relationships of romantic types, but in um, any kind of parental or any kind of co-workers, that gaslighting is everywhere. We see it no more prevalent than on the news every day, um, where we saw something, no, you didn't see that. It's really quite obvious. And, and that's how it manifests in people's homes. So we, we need to understand how do we heal from this? So this is the part where I want you to tell us some ideas and, and why does, you've got boundaries in your book, why does learning boundaries help us heal when we've been gaslighted and emotionally abused? Absolutely. Well, writing the boundaries section of the book was honestly one of my favorite parts because I talk about this so much with my clients and it is so, so important. Um, what I think is magical about setting boundaries, it's not so much about making another person stop doing something because you kind of can't. People are going to do what they're going to do. But you can protect yourself and you can walk away from something. And setting boundaries can be a way of saying, I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah. So you are entitled to your view of the world and I'm entitled to mine. And I do not have to accept your view of the world when your view is to shut mine down. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so empowering to say, no, thanks. I'm done with that. Exactly. And, and, and most victims don't have the power or they don't believe they have the power to set a boundary until they learn how to do it. And then they go, holy shit, I could have said no. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it mind blows. But then there's this also this whole other camp, if you would, and, and, um, that because they didn't, or they tried to set boundaries with their, their ex-spouse, they tried and it just didn't work. They tried with their mother. It never worked and they gave up, right? So because of that sort of other element of people that just have tried and just say, nah, I can't do it. It doesn't work. No, nah, that's not going to work. I made this quote, so I'm going to read it because it's in my book, which hopefully you'll be at someday. Um, it's about setting boundaries. So most say setting boundaries with a narcissist rarely works, but I suggest that the act of trying to spit a boundary, despite its most likely results, is far better than never trying at all. For when we surrender and stop trying to set boundaries, they get their way and they win. So never stop fighting for your battles because mm -hmm. it's, it's us training them, right? If we just stop asking, they do win. But if you just continue, at least you don't have that hole in your heart because you gave up and because you didn't stick up for yourself anymore. 
Yes, absolutely. I would so much rather see a client or a reader try, even if it doesn't work out, even if they set a boundary and they backslide on it, even if they set a boundary and it totally doesn't work because they didn't set a realistic one. At least you're trying, at least you're practicing, and at least you are asserting yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, like most things, practice makes us better. Absolutely. And you know what? I always say when you're setting boundaries to go um, slow, you know, start off with, and I, when I teach it in, in my, my groups, I'm like, all right, so you may have something like, you might not like that your husband doesn't put the toilet seat down, but you know, that's on the low level, unless that is your high, but, but think of the things that you want to set it for, you know, that might not be, okay, I've asked him 45,000 times that he won't do it, but then when he, he does this other terrible thing, they might go for the, the bigger thing. Start by asking for the little things, you know, set, set up what you feel like doing and how, you know, get some of those. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, he listened to me. Oh my God. And then it gets a little bit stronger and you can go up, you know, the, the whole person going, I've set a boundary that my husband can't cheat. And I say, but he cheated 14 times. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, he didn't listen to the boundary. And, and, and I always run it by them. And, and, um, what did you say that if he didn't do it, the boundary that you set, yeah. what's the penalty? Because if we set a boundary, even with our children, they come home from school and they basically want to know, um, if they can have TV time, computer game time, but they haven't done their homework, do your homework get to play games, finish your dinner, get dessert, right? There's always a consequence. There's got to be something and it's got to be realistic. You can't say, if you cheat, I'm leaving. If you can't ever leave, because right. then they're going to know it doesn't ever work because they keep on cheating, but you've got to have something that's realistic and you've Absolutely. got to tap into what makes them tick and be worried about that. Um, so besides boundaries that you've got in the book, give us some of the other things that people might need to learn and can do the work in your workbook to help them come out? So I think this is actually probably the most important part of the workbook and of the entire recovery and healing journey, but self-compassion. Mm -hmm. I know it's a phrase we've heard a lot. I know a lot of people probably want to roll their eyes when they hear it. <laughs> um, and I know that there is in many of us a tendency to sort of kick ourselves and be like, how could I not see that? What's wrong with me that I didn't know what was happening, that I didn't leave sooner, that I didn't make it stop? How could I not stand up for myself? What a loser. And that's the gaslighting kicking in. That's that internalized gaslighting where we take on some of the abusive things we've heard and we turn it against ourselves. And it does not work to heal you. All it does is deepen the wounds. So the first thing that has to happen before any real healing can occur is to turn some kindness inward and let yourself catch a break. Being gentle with yourself will get you so much closer to that healed heart than being hard on yourself will. Yeah. yeah. And, and I always tell people when I hear those kind of comments in coaching or in a group um, that you, you're decided with a narcissist. That's a recording that they're putting in your head and, and you're holding on to it. And mm -hmm. if they made fun of you, said bad names and called you names, you're calling yourself bad names by, by blaming yourself for not getting away on time or not, um, you know, doing things that the, the whole thing is we turn ourselves, like you said, um, against ourselves. So again, finding that self-compassion, what's your number one tip for people 
when they're in that place to kind of, how do you find self-compassion when you hear these recordings come out of your mouth? Like, oh God, I was so stupid for doing that. I should have left. How do you help them with that? Well, I like to encourage people to think about those self-critical voices as that's not all of you. That is a part of you. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of you that has learned to be critical to maybe protect you from abuse in some way. Like if you could be critical towards yourself, you would give nobody else any reason to be mean because you were already beating yourself down. Mm -hmm. So if you can look for what's the, what's the good intention of the part of you that may be being critical? Can you find some appreciation for yourself that, man, I've got these parts that are doing everything they can to protect me, even if it doesn't make sense on the surface. And finding that appreciation and that recognition that you really are doing the best you can mm -hmm. and that you're learning something new every day. You didn't know then what you know now, and you can make new choices with what you know now. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a big part of this um, self that needs to be forgiven too. When Absolutely. you've got that, that attack of yourself, I should have gotten out. I've ruined my kid's life by making mommy, you know, the, the, I, I picked her for a mom and now my kids' lives are over. You know, where's the forgiveness in that? You didn't know. You know, it's not like when you gave birth to your child, you knew that, you know, mommy or daddy would turn into this beast. That there's some kind of change over when when that happens, but we have to forgive ourselves for things we didn't know, right? Yes. And you know, this is gonna sound a little cheesy, um, but that's okay. I'm okay with cheese. Um, <laughs> it's a good food. <laughs> whole food group isn't it <laughs> I, for real I mean it's the bottom of my food pyramid uh, <laughs> but absolutely telling yourself like I forgive you and I love you we all make mistakes mm -hmm. if you do nothing else in your healing journey if you can learn to say that to yourself mm -hmm. I promise you it really will make a world of difference and you're not going to want to say it at first you're going to be mad you're going to be cranky you're like why do I have to say this stupid crap <laughs> and it really, <laughs> if you can press through that and say it anyway, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a meditation that I wrote in the workbook that I really love. And I think a lot of people may not love, but I love it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would encourage you to do it even if you don't. And that's called the, I love you meditation. And that is all about finding the places in yourself that feel hurt, that feel angry, that feel like, oh my God, that was so dumb. How could I do that? And then showing love to them, offering an, I love you and a gentle touch to say like, it's okay that you're here. You're welcome and you're part of me and I love you. Mm -hmm. And sending that loving energy inward is such a soothing, healing balm to the hurt places. Absolutely, it's so important. And then that's why I love all the exercises um, in this book, everybody. Um, you're going to look at things differently and, and differently about yourself. So while we're here to learn about gaslighting and understand what happened, that's just the beginning of the book. It's really the meat and potatoes is now what do I do? Um, and, and one of the things I want to finish up with as, as the millions of things is we couldn't talk about this if we'd spent the next 17 hours talking about it all. But, um, you know, learning assertiveness is something that you have in here. Why is mm -hmm. that important and how does someone do that? Uh, assertive communication is super important for building healthy relationships. Assertiveness allows you to express your needs, your wants, your preferences, and your boundaries 
in a way that invites healthy returns. It also gives you a really good clue if someone is unable to meet you in a healthy way, because if you express an assertive request and you are met with gaslighting or passive aggressive responses or aggressive responses, then you know, okay, this person is not able to respond assertively. They're not able to respond respectfully. Something's going on on their end of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, a, and a lot of this as we're talking and what you've just said, I, I had a flash to, to the people that can't get away. So if you're looking at this and you just like tried to assert yourself and, and you got this bad reaction, um, you know, this is a red flag, certainly where we would say, you know what, this isn't good um, and, and put it in the list of maybe someday I'll be able to get out. But there are people that are trapped. They are trapped and they are there for religious reasons, for a whole plethora of, I'm staying for the kids, I can't get away, I'm waiting, um, they have no financial means to get away. So when someone's gaslighting them, what, what can they do right then and there, and besides work on all of these strengths to make them stronger against it? What, what do you say to the person that's trapped and needs, they can't, it, they can add up to the sky all the things that they're witnessing. Mm -hmm. But what do we do? Then I would say a really, two really important things. One is lean into your social supports, whoever you have around you that backs you up, that says, no, I hear you. I validate your experience. I got you on this. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you can't leave or you choose not to, for whatever variety of reasons that people need to stay, um, to validate yourself to turn inward and say, even if I've asserted myself and my person, whoever that may be, whether it's a boss or a partner or a parent or a child or whoever, you know, my person is gaslighting me and I know what they're doing and I can't make it stop. I know what my truth is. I have the right to my truth. Yes. Nobody else can take that away from me, even if it's not validated on the outside. That you are constantly reinforcing and validating yourself because ultimately, that's the most important thing that you can do. And sometimes it's, it's, it's the only thing they can do. Absolutely. It's, but, but I, I always tell people to know your truth. I have it in my book probably way more many times than I should. Um, it's <laughs> just, if they're gaslighting you, if they're telling lies and smears and allegations in the courtroom, we'll know your truth. You're not a bad mother. And then, pull all the evidence together to show that you are not a bad mother. And, um, you know, that's how you win in divorce is that you prove what they're saying isn't true. And um, that's the whole kind of game with the false allegations. But knowing your truth instead of feeding into the lies that they're telling you and understanding when they're telling you, I know we're going off in a different direction, but it has to do with gaslighting. When they're telling you something and they're, they're accusing you something in court, during a divorce, for example, and, and understanding that the, the reasons that they're doing that is to get a reaction out of you, right? Mm -hmm. The more you react and try to defend it, the more they're going to push the dagger in. And so if we look at knowing your truth, it's not going to bother you as much because you're right. just going to go, I tell everybody to just hold up your hand and be like, dumbass is at it again. I know that I'm a great mom and I'm going to prove it, right? Instead of taking that on because they have wounded you at the core of whatever is most important to you. So if it's mothering, if it's, you know, you're a good financial person, they're going to rip you apart and say you stole money. Whatever it is, they're going to hit it. 
So knowing your truth and doing a workbook like this to kind of get control of your emotional gauge so that when this stuff happens, it slides off you and you're just like, you know, we've got the power. You've got no power here. Go away. I've got the power. So um, that's, that's what I tell people when we're talking about divorcing all the time. Know your truth. And when someone's lying to you, choose your battle. Do you have to defend yes. that they're lying in your face? Or can you just say, I don't want to fight right now. I know the truth. I said it. You said it. Whatever it was and just walk yourself away from the situation because they want you in there for the fight. Absolutely. And I, I talk about something a little bit similar, um, not necessarily specific to divorce, but the idea that setting boundaries can be as simple as not engaging. Mm. You don't have to have a big confrontation with someone to set a boundary that you're not going to play the game anymore. You mm. can simply smile and nod. You can have a rinse and repeat answer that you just say over and over and over and over. You can simply walk away. There are many ways to set a boundary that don't involve getting into an argument. Exactly. I love that. That's really, really good advice. I'm totally going to add that when I tell my, my, my groups the, the gaslighting thing because walking away is an answer. And, um, you know, not passively aggressive, but again, find your answers and just be hand up, talk to the hand, got to go, bye. And then yep. you feel so much stronger than when they take you down and bring you into that emotional pit. Hello, right. baby. Here comes the cat again. <laughs> you need well, to share I, something. Is there anything else that you want to say that rounds up what people will learn in this book? Well, I think this book is about really learning how to regain your self-trust. Mm. Because once you regain your self-trust, you can do the healing work. You can develop the self-compassion. You can develop the assertiveness. But as you said earlier, forgiveness is a huge piece of it. Uh, not beating yourself up and learning to be gentler on yourself. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds so contradictory in a way, but finding that internal gentleness will allow you to find the outer assertiveness and the outer firmness that you need for good, healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it starts with softening towards yourself and then you can be firmer toward the world in the ways that you need to be. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Thank you. And there's so much in this that people are going to need to understand and, um, you know, go buy the book. I'll put a link below for everybody. Um, if you're on the podcast, you can top over and um, find the link on YouTube, which is where we'll be putting it up. But um, thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. It has been such a pleasure um, since I've had this book in my hand, I've just been like waiting to talk with you because, um, again, lots of workbooks on my shelf, but to me, this is, this is really about emotional abuse and how to heal from it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I had a great time. Great. How cool was that? Isn't she brilliant? I really like her work so much and, um, I really encourage you to go out and get this workbook because if you're healing from narcissistic abuse, you need to have all of these components to understand everything from gaslighting and what to do with self-healing and nurturing and everything else that she just told us. 
Again, if you are looking for answers on narcissistic abuse, visit my website, NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. We've got free eBooks. We've got listings of um, support groups from all over the country and, and, and the world. We've added extra ones for wherever we can find them. So if you're looking for support, if you're looking for answers, get there. Find out more. We've got free eBooks, 10 of them. So get started today with your healing and go find this book. And um, that's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll stay tuned and get you another person to see and learn from soon. Have a great day.